I fell into a ring of fire. I fell in. When you kiss me, fever, when you hold me tight. Fever. Hello and welcome to Fever FM. Tonight, this is the ultimate episode, and by that I mean last, not the greatest. Um, I'm joined by Dave, Dale and Cam. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, hello. G'day. You'll notice I said gentlemen because Helena cannot be with us as she's getting a surprise birthday party, I believe. Uh, Unfortunately, they told her about it, so she didn't accidentally miss it. Uh, we're going to crack straight into the guts of this because there's been no football to talk about. So we're just going to talk about uh, the whole season instead. Um, I think what we'll do is I'll introduce a, a category and you all can give me your picks and tell me why I'm completely full of crap. Uh, let's start with the big one. Best player. Do we just just say the same name all at the same time and then move on to was there anyone else in the picture yeah i think i think that's the interesting question right is is there anyone else even worth talking about what <laughs> you know we're all going to pick the same winner because i think that's pretty clear but who else even came close no one no one across the course of the season came close you can no. argue that others in patches had brilliant spells like Kryev, for example who started brilliantly but fell away towards the end or yep. uh, elliot who had Sparkled in, in particular, in particular phrases, but no one got anywhere near Zawada. So we're saying Zawada and basically distance. And, that's yeah. it. and I think the interesting thing is, right, Zawada obviously had the best season of anyone, but his season wasn't exactly perfect, right? I mean, there were a hell of a lot of bad misses in there and, and some some pretty scratchy games, but he was just head and shoulders above everyone else, even with those deficiencies, right? Because, you know, we talk about bad patches of form for um, Cryev, for example. Zawada went through some patches as well where, um, you know, he wasn't great, but he just kept getting that one goal every that, game, and that was enough. Even if for the, you know, the other 89 minutes of the game, he was bang average, that one goal was more than enough, right? Um, so, but yeah, that's kind of what what was good about him is that even when he was playing not so great, he found a way. And yep, yeah. But ima- imagine if next season we get him with consistency across the season. You know, you get a good sixty minutes out of him every game. I mean, shit, he could score an absolute hatful because he already did playing decent. Well, I I. I am anticipating second season blues. People will watch those tapes and they will prepare very hard for him um, when they play us. Uh, and we will have to develop a plan B real quick because um, we've already. Do you think that though? Like teams have had 20 you know odd weeks to work that out. Like, isn't that an indictment on them if they haven't managed to do that in season? Yeah. Weren't they already trying to do that towards the end of the season and still failing? Yeah, to a degree, um, but I also, I, I know that this is kind of a pattern that plays out in professional sport. The the second season blues are a thing because people are able to prepare a lot more easily for them, knowing that you can go into preseason and go, okay, there are these types of strikers I've got to, I've got to de- develop a defensive strategy for. And then maybe you just put some ugly little bastard to just go and um, grab them by the sack and just pull them down to the ground. Yeah, I think the other the other counter to that as well is, I mean, genuinely, we have no idea 
how Chiefy's going to play, right? You know, we know what sort of player Zawada is, but we don't know what our formation is. We really don't know tactically what this is going to look like at all. And I think there's there's pretty good scope there for uh, Chiefy to have a you know a couple of couple of rabbits to pull out of hats there in terms of some stuff people aren't expecting. Even if you know what one of the one of the players is going to be like in terms of you know the mold, um, they might you know I, I think at times we criticised Ufi's tactics have been a little one dimensional around you know how we use the water and they still couldn't stop him scoring. Um, but if Chiefy's coming at it with a different angle, few more dimensions to it, could be interesting because they might be planning for that. We're just going to try and put it on his head, long balls kind of strategy, and, and we do something very different. I I do want to mention talk about Crive a little bit, just because, uh, A, he was our second highest scorer, um, but that patch he went through at the beginning, um, I rewatched all the goals. Thank you, Dale, for that uh, linking that um, video. And when his involvement, that first two-thirds of the season, he was involved in nearly every goal. The ones that he scored in, the, everything, he was driving through that uh, that centre of the field. He was not out wide playing as a wide 10, as Ufi like. Uh, would that be, you know, is that the sort of thing that could turn his game around to at least put him in contention for this award next year? I mean, if he hadn't dropped away, he would have been in contention, in my opinion. Um, he just had that bad patch of form. Um, and that led to a few games where he, he basically didn't start, lost his position, you know. Um, so I think if he'd kept his form consistent across the season, he would have been in with a shout. And I think he's almost a little hard done by in some ways in that in a lot of other seasons, he would have done enough to be our signing of the season. Um, mm. but he just happened to be up against incredibly stiff competition. Cause I think if you exclude Zawada from the conversation and look at our signings, um, you would say Cryev was a pretty darn good pickup and, and would usually have been one of our better signings in a season. And he just happened to be eclipsed by an even better one. I think that's very fair. Um, I, I don't know how much more we can spin about Zawada and there being no one else that stands up. Um, so why don't we move quickly on to most improved? Because I think this is going to be... Um, now, a, a Helena did send through some submissions. Are you going to well, read I, those? I, I am, and I'm going to caveat everything with an allegedly. Uh, I think <laughs> it's a stand, standing understanding. Um, she, of course, picked Oscar Zawada. Uh, in fact what she actually said was, do I even need to say it? Um, I'm going to take that as Oscar Zawada. So um, move on to the uh, most improved. This is uh, interesting. Um, Cam, why don't you give me your most improved first? Yeah, that's um, that's quite tough, actually, because I think there's a few players who put, would put their hands up. Um, Elliot is one that certainly stands out. In my mind, I uh, thought this was probably Clayton Lewis's best season in a Phoenix shirt. Um, yeah, kind of, kind of fell away towards the end, but there were glimpses there which were quite good. Yeah, tough man, tough. I think I'll go with Elliot purely because I think for the longer period he performed above where I would have expected to do for the season. Dale. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's a little bit tough because I guess of the players who have stayed from last year, you kind of know what their level is or has been, and and it's and it's it's harder for me to say. Oh, they were really bad last year, but they were really good this year. So it kind of leads me to say the most improved is Jan Sass because up by Christmas time, we were all talking about this guy's up for for a mutual termination in, in the in the trans summer transfer window, and 
of all our players, he is probably the one who started the worst but finished the strongest, I think. And, you know, you can talk about Lewis, but I think he's got, he went the other way. I think he started strong, finished worse. Even Cullen Elliott, you know, towards that back end, had a couple of shocking games where he got absolutely torn apart by some, you know, admittedly good players. Um, and for everyone else, I think for most part, they finished the season worse than when they, they started. I have a bit of a, a similar view. I, I I would say Callan Elliott by default, but I thought he didn't improve that much. I thought he was I thought he was decent last season. I thought you know he was showing that that ability, and he just showed it this season. But I'm struggling to think of anyone else. You make a good point about Jan Sass's improvement over the season was was good, but just way too late, right? Yeah, I guess on the, on the other thing, I mean, I guess going into the first game, uh, he wasn't even the first choice right back, was he? Tim Payne was, was the one, I think. And then after a couple of games, they realised, mm, no, let's put Tim Payne centre-back and Elliot took over. So I guess in that sense, you know, if you're Ufi and you went in the off-season, you're like, oh, Elliot's, you know, an OK player, but I'm going to play Tim Payne. But then he gets those roles become, you know, reversed or Elliot becomes the first choice right back and pretty much plays every game after the first couple, I think. Then in that sense you could see you could say he was he was improved significantly, but I think, you know, he does have some still some weaknesses in his defensive side of his of his game. Hmm. Well it's not something we'll have to explore for next year by the look of it. So um good luck Tom. Uh Dave, uh who was your uh most improved? I mean I think I think Callan's probably probably the pick for the winner, but I, I would have had Jan Sass in the mix as well, because I agree. There was a point there where you thought, shit, this guy's not getting any more minutes, and we're obviously selling him in January, you know? Get him out the door so he maybe can bring in someone else. It, it just seemed like he was dead weight. And by the end of the season, I was I was saying, I think he's unlucky um, that the circumstances mean we can't re-sign him, because it, it might have been an option, you know? He's, he's shown mm. us a little bit of X factor there, but we need that for a different position on the field. So there's just no no way we can keep him. But I don't think that's a reflection on his ability or his performances by the end of it. I think it's just a, a circumstances thing. But the other name I want to throw in the mix is probably more controversial. Um, but I would have had Tim Payne in the mix as well. I think we've seen him go from um, a player who kind of was finding his feet in the A-League and finding his feet at right back and probably had secured, secured himself that starting spot to now he looks... A-league level defender, and he can play a couple positions. He looks part of probably our most solid setups at the back there um, with a couple of options of where you can put him, which I think, given the Tim Payne we've known from years gone by, that's kind of surprising in some ways. You know, he's always a there or thereabouts kind of player, but to be essentially a bolted-on starter in a back four is, um, is a pretty big improvement for mine. And I think we really kind of saw that this year in that, he just looked at at his level, um, which I don't think we would have said that about Tim Payne in the past. So I would have had him in the mix as well for that discussion. But I I think Callan would have been the easy winner. Yeah, I've got to say that I I had a bit of a higher opinion of Payne in the first place, so that probably diminished my thinking. I this is probably even more of an outside bolt. I actually thought Josh Laws improved heaps. Uh, his his consistency, like he last year, he was up and down. He showed that he was a good player, but he was up and down. This year, when he did play, um, he still had those injury concerns, obviously. But when he did play, I thought he did quite well. Looked a lot more consistent. 
and I could say, you know, obviously with very limited exposure, Finn Sermon, uh, like he didn't look the, he didn't look like much last when he got minutes last season. But yeah, he looked okay this season. I mean, we're talking improvement here. We're not talking are they A League level. Uh, Helena has uh, given it to uh, Callan Elliott. I can't tell whether the mm in front of Callan Elliott is any kind of judgment on him or just a consideration. But so that seems to be a clean sweep for Callan Elliott. This is a bit of a loss that he's going, right? Having a New Zealand uh, player who's actually doing pretty well and then losing them to somewhere else, that that hurts, right? I mean, it's a loss, but I mean, there's a lot of a lot of uh, conjecture around the circumstances of it. But if if it's even partially true, some of the stuff the club have put out there around him um, and release clauses and that kind of stuff, it sounds like you were probably losing him anyway. This way, you're losing him with time to rebuild rather than potentially losing him at short notice. So, I I think you were probably on a hiding to nothing in terms of him sticking around long term, right? So. Does it hurt more to lose him now or later? It's hard to say, but I think he was gone soonish anyway, right? Mm, but I, I think either way, losing him is problematic. I mean, it's, we're talking about him being improved, but we're not talking about him out excelling at the A-League, and yet he's moving on to somewhere else. That, that, that to me is problematic. Maybe he's got very high ambitions considering his um what he's shown who knows um should we crack on to the uh goal of the year because i know this is going to be some contention at least we've got a couple of um possibilities i mean i think you've got to let dale go first on this one well obviously obviously dale is no i want to go last i want to go last no but then we can't rub in how you're wrong I mean, I want to I just open by saying that I think any open play goals should probably be excluded because I feel that it's not really fair to judge a goal's quality unless all of the defenders and the goalkeeper <laughs> are able to position themselves optimally because otherwise you're not really testing the, the, the skill of the striker versus, you know, a well-positioned goalkeeper, well-positioned defense. And, you know, you're really, you're really testing the quality of, say, a pass that opened it up first, not the goal itself. So if we want to talk best goal, I think we should only talk set pieces. I mean, the purity of a penalty must be noted here, I think. Uh, Alex Rufus penalty, I thought, was particularly good. The ultimate one-on-one test, right? Yep. Mano a yeah, mano, I appreciate that say. point with the penalty, but without having the defenders being able to get in the way, then it's not really the true test of skill, is it? So, it's, it's, so the ultimate goal really should be like an inside-the-box indirect free kick, the little roll-off oh, and then someone beats a 10-man Yeah, But yeah. something you can't get that, the next best option is is really something from maybe outside the box with with a wall set and the keeper can see it well, that kind of stuff, yeah? Maybe maybe a long way outside the box. Yeah. So can you see you can really give that ball time to dip and swerve. And maybe even on the wrong side for the player's foot as well, just to just to really set the cat amongst the pigeons. I think, yeah, really to set it off, it should probably come off maybe the crossbar as well or, or a post to yeah. really rub in the salt to both the defenders and the goalkeeper as it goes yeah. in. That 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 sound as it hits the crossbar, just the, oh, that metallic thud 
that's glorious to hear. But however, I, I actually I'm going to vote for a different goal. <laughs> <laughs> just just uh, to be diff, just to be different. Well played. Yeah, I'm I'm going to go for uh, Zawada against Adelaide inside the first 12 seconds i think was the second time we played them we beat them like 3-1 here that finish was lovely and i'm gonna go i'm gonna i'm going to vote for that one um it was either that or uh one of the young sus cut inside left foot from outside the box nudges i think he got two of those across the season so uh no he got one did he and then there's that one so but no i'm gonna go for the sus the the zawada one sorry i'm going with it i'm going with the free kick Sus got three goals. Oh, did he? That's yeah, but I'm saying, yeah, but um, the one that I particularly liked was a cutting in shot from outside the box with his left. Um, he scored that one in Eden Park, which was also beautiful build-up play, which he managed to slot around the keeper. Really, that was really a nice very, team goal, that one. Very good team goal, which is also yeah. another good shot. Yeah, that would be my my honourable mention would be the team goal at Eden Park. My winner, though, Clayton Free Kick. Uh, Dale, I know you want to chime in here yeah i've got a I've, I've got my top five if that if that helps oh my yeah, god yeah good stuff actually I'll, I'll start by opening that that lewis goal against macarthur like why you guys think it's the best goal it's not even the best goal in that game the one that we're um ben, ben wayne scores where we play it through four or five of the um players at the edge of the box Kroyev, i think nutmegs the left back it goes um to i think sam sutton Cuts it back to the edge of six, but Ben Wayne's pulled off his marker and slipped it past Kudo. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, exquisite example of a team goal in a team sport. Perfect, perfect. It, that's the one where um, Wayno drops to the six and then pulls back to the penalty spot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that yeah, was a very beautiful. good goal. Um, yeah. I, I, I very much like that one. There was another team goal in there as well. Solo goal, I'm actually going um, Kryev's one where he drives from about midfield and then as they drop yeah. off, he just kills it. Yeah, against Western uh, United. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as much as the defence was shabby, going from halfway and then slotting it around the keeper, that was that was perfect execution. Really showed what what he can do when he's going, uh, running that midfield channel. Um, right, I'll, I'll give you my five here. Okay. Okay, go on. Number five, um, Zawada's backheel fly kick against Central Coast in the last minute. The cheek Just of it. Cheek of it, last minute, got us a point, important point at the time. Lewis is number four. So just, yeah, just accept just, that. Just a token. Just accept it, yeah. Uh, number three was Ben Wayne. Number two, um, it's back all the way back in round three, Costa Barbarossa versus Melbourne City, where um, I think Yugarkovic plays like this ball just between two markers, gets to Ben Old, who beats a player, then threads a ball to Costa, who I think doesn't even take a touch and toe pokes it into the far corner before anyone's even worked out what's happened. Um, example of, of um, like Costa's goal-scoring knack that we didn't see enough of. He just took the chance like in the split second and everyone expected him to take a touch and shoot and it was the keeper didn't even have time to react. So I thought that was quite a good one. And then obviously um Jan Sass against Brisbane towards the end. Uh a couple of interplays, a little play, um, dink from um Zawada through to Sass who who buried at home. 
So quite clear, established number uh, top five. That's an interesting um, thing. A lot of emphasis on those team goals, which I, I am a fan of. Um, it, it's interesting to talk about the with um, Zawada scoring so many of the team's goals, and yet he really didn't make the list as far as beautiful goals, just effective as all buggery, right? Yep. E- even that they one. They all count came... the same. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um Helena quite, has... he, had, he had sorry, just I'll just he had quite a mix of goals. Eh? He had a couple of headers, uh, a couple of long balls over the top, getting in behind, and then a few sort of poachy type goals, you know, in the sixth penalty spot. Like it's really hard to describe him like what is what what type of player he is because he seems to score goals from like different you know, points in yeah. time or different parts of the game. And the ones that the ones he finished weren't necessarily the easy chances. You know, there were some some quite simple goals he missed, right? And then he scored some absolute bangers. It wasn't it wasn't you know that smeltsy style just poacher who could you know poach with all feet and his head. You know, it was it was as you say a real mix of styles of goal and yet also some just horrendous misses too. Um, you know, right in front open net and doesn't score it. So it's yeah, he's a he's a mystery that's for sure, but uh, an effective one. What? Yeah. I... You make a very good point that that watching that video, there was even as ones where he's scoring with his head, he's scoring near post, far post. Then he's going moving laterally off a um, an inside defender out to get space and heading with power despite going in the wrong direction. It's like it, a lot of technical nous and a lot of his goals, like there was the volley, the as you say, the little uh, side foot flick. Um, yeah. It, the, as far as a um uh a a picture book of goals goes, he kind of had one of everything. Um, Helena has uh said, uh Clayton's free kick, take that, Dale. Yeah, I, I took I took it and put it at number four, <laughs> even though it's um, not a real goal. I'm not denying it's not a good goal. It just, it just, it just, but it just can't be the the best goal. It's just impossible. It just can't um, be right. Uh, Dave, can you uh, just confirm this for me? Um, how many, how many points does he, do you get for a goal? I uh, just, just the one, just the one. But it's for all of them, right? Mm, it is. That's an interesting. Except, except if they're in your own net, and then you get a minus one. Right. Okay. So maybe that's. <laughs> They all count, I think, is what the... Let's uh, move on to the qualitative takes now um, around uh, who we were surprisingly impressed by. Um, We should give credit to uh, Dale for these uh, questions, for very leading questions. Um, Dave, I'm going to start with you on this one. Surprisingly impressed by... Give me a name. Tell me I mean, it's probably Zawada. It's it's a stupid answer, but I mean the reality is, anyone who turns up as a striker in the A League, particularly for the Phoenix, you might be lucky to get five goals out of them. You know that would still be a reasonable return, right? And instead, we got heaps, and he was pretty good. Um, but I think there's a lot of names you could put on that list, right? Like Kryev, equally really good signing. You know we didn't know much about him. Pedigree didn't look amazing. Turns up, shows he can really play some technically good football and be involved in a hell of a lot of goals. Dip in form. Not good, um, but again, surprised how good he was. So, um, 
yeah, I think I think those two are the the obvious ones. Um, but yeah, there were a few other people across the season who stepped up, and we saw flashes from Jan Sass, who by that point we thought was absolute dog shit. Um, so that was always a surprise when something was like, oh, actually, it turns out he can do some good stuff. So I think there's a few names in there, but I, I would say it's the quality of those two signings, and I think Zawada wins out. See, I actually think there is only one uh, that name that you can put in there, and that's Steven Yugakovic. Because looking at him across his um, across his time across the league, he's quite the journeyman. But this season with us, he you can uh, he was arguably our third best player across the season, and I think I did not expect that level of consistency of performance from him. I'm sure you would get the diamond the rough performances, but across the course of the season, he consistently was very very good. So for me, he's the one. I'm going to take uh, a bit of issue with that, um, just because I was impressed with him, but I was not surprised. I, I've I've thought he's a decent player who who's been he's put out consistent performances for years. Uh, for yeah, a number I agree. of teams, oh, he's got, he, oh, he had exactly that good. That's the thing. He wasn't. Yeah. I, I did. I did not expect him to be consistently as good as he was across the course of that season. That's why he surprised me. Yeah. Yeah. I. I. He didn't. Uh, he impressed me, but I was not surprised at all. Um, Dale. Yeah, I mean, you mock my like hot take free kicks. Uh, hot takes about free kicks. Cam's hot take that Yugakovic hasn't been impressive in, in like the A League previously is the hottest of takes. Like he was an absolute standout for Newcastle for three or four years while like, utter dog shit. He went to Wanderers. He wasn't like that great for Wanderers, but I mean, the Wanderers were like pretty rubbish through that whole period anyway. So uh, he definitely has a, a pedigree. I think I don't think he was in, as consistent as some people here think. I think he had some various up and downs patches to the extent that at one point I thought a roofer Lewis was our best central midfield combination so um, I think he was probably one that got I think got better as the as the season wore on but um, yeah I don't think I'm personally not surprised at all that yeah he's one of our better players no and the stats the stats don't speak to what Cam's saying either he, he got his Actually, his least minutes for us. He he he's had more minutes since he became a regular starter um, in twenty sixteen. Every season, um, bar one where he was injured, and he also transferred during that season between Jets and Wanderers. Um, and it's also his least goals. So arguably, this was one of his worst seasons in the last um, six that he's played in the A League. But he's been he's been good across he made that impression on me, eh? Yeah, clearly you just didn't notice he was playing for the opposition. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, he was good. says a lot about how bad he was. That's not to belittle uh, the fact he was good for us because he was good for us. But yeah, I wasn't surprised by that at all. He's been he's been a pretty consistent agent. Surprisingly before. good for us, yep. <laughs> uh, Dale, who was your uh, pick for this? He'll agree with me, Stephen Ugakovic. I think, yeah, I think probably Zawada. And I, I think perhaps we we all, um, to some degree, looked at his record at quite face level and thought, mm, this guy hasn't really scored goals anywhere. And I think, yeah, at the start of the season, I think I suggested we probably have maybe three or four people with six or seven goals in the season. We wouldn't have one in front, but he kind of obviously smashed it. But looking back at his, like, he's 
like back in his record, you can kind of see there's a little bit of a diamond in there. Like, you know, one season in Poland, he was scoring or assisting every second game. Uh, in the Bundesliga too, he did the exact same thing in another season. In a couple of other Polish leagues, it was, you know, um, not far off. So there is, I think, his pedigree coming in, I think, was diminished by just how few minutes he played. He was always like a bench player or coming off, you know, getting few minutes, but a large number of games. And so his record looked quite poor. Um, so while his record this year has been you know, extend, outstanding, there are some signs, if you looked like below the sort of face value, that that could have been there. But I don't think anyone kind of really sort of put that together. So, um, yeah, I don't think I would have expected him to have, you know, 15 goals and, and two assists in this first season. I'm actually going to agree with uh, Dale and Dave here on who it is, but for a different reason. I think it was Oscar Suada, but as much as the goals were fantastic and we needed them, and um, I was more impressed with his all-round play, I thought what we were getting in was a big, strong centre forward. I didn't think he was going to be uh, peeling away off strikers and scoring runaways. I, I thought there's going to be a lot of headed goals. It's going to be, you know, he's going to be knocking the ball down, holding it up. I His hold-up play was magnificent, but all the rest of his play was magnificent as well. Really, really solid, professional, um, well-rounded um, centre-forward play. And I, I think that that's, we don't see, a, we don't see a lot of that in the A-League especially, but certainly not in modern football. I thought, that was what impressed me. Um, Helena was also impressed by Oscar Zavada. She didn't say why. I'm guessing it was the obvious, the goals. Um, but still, consist- I think three out of four ain't bad from uh, from our board anyway. Uh, this one I know is going to be a bit of a contentious one. Who were we most disappointed by? I'm going to go first and, and, uh, and throw it out there. I was most disappointed with Ollie Sale. Uh, I thought that last year he was magnificent, like fantastic, best best keeper in the league. Um, but this year he was inconsistent. He made gaffes. These are things that we didn't see from him last year. I was hoping that, you know, with a bit of solidity back there, you know, we could have a really good season. But that inconsistency and the emotional volatility as well, that he was like he's always been prone to a bit of niggle, but he's never got into the physical before. I, it, to me, that kind of spoke that he wasn't feeling his game. He wasn't his regular confident self, or certainly as much as he had last year. Um, now, this is the point where you guys agree with me and tell on tell me I'm absolutely full of crap. I had written down I had written down two names, and Sale was one of them for exact oh. same reason. I think far too many gaffes compared to what we what we've seen in the previous two seasons like I can probably think of at least six goals that he wouldn't he wouldn't have made the same mistake in the last season um yeah and it started early in early in the season like that central coast game he got came charging out of the box got nowhere and got chipped by Cummings I think for us to go 2-1 down um the Adelaide game there was two gaffes there there are at least a few others so just the sheer number of yeah, mistakes he made where in previous season he was almost, you know, uh, unbeatable at, at, at times. And, you know, keepers make, you know, some mistakes every every season. But 
I think he was above above average, probably above average in the league. I think even definitely above his normal normal self in, in you know the two or three seasons beforehand. Who who is your other name, Dale? Uh, David Ball. Oh yes, that was. Yeah, just yeah, and for all his you know running and hard work, you know he is up there to create or score goals, and he just didn't do enough for that this season. Miles down on his stats from previous seasons. Someone did point out to me today that actually he didn't have a preseason um, this season because of his off-season surgery, and I, I I hope that that's one of the factors that maybe that kind of just continued in the season. I don't know how much you how much you, leeway you give for that. How much part of the, the season you give for that, but um, the fact that he, he had three he's had three very good productive seasons beforehand, then has been given another three year contract, then had one shocker. Um, it makes me nervous whether the next two seasons are going to be two more shockers or whether he'll go back to his normal self. Um, I, I definitely agree that Ball had a bad season, but it's um. Looking back at his numbers, what was more concerning for me in the previous his previous stints at other clubs was that he was prone to that. He was quite, you know, first couple of years, he was very consistent, you know, six goals, same kind of number of assists, really good minutes, all that sort of thing. And then the next one, it would be not so great. So seeing that pattern kind of repeat, you know, whether it's actually is a repeat or not, I don't know, but it does make me nervous about next year. I think there's some research to suggest that in the year before a new contract is signed, players normally outperform themselves, and then the year after a new contract was signed, they underperform themselves. There's a kind of like an incentive to do better as your contract's up for negotiation. Then once you've signed it, that pressure's off and you kind of underperform. Um, it's a bit like being an example of that. I'm not suggesting you know he's he's cruising or anything like that, but the incentive isn't there. Yeah, and. Um, yeah, it's just disappointing how far off the, the pace he was. He wasn't even close, you know. D- does this mean that Costa's never been about to come off contract? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Costa's probably the other one you can throw in there um, in the mix. Were, were you surprised about it? Um, I think when we signed him, I think most of us kind of assumed he would probably be a bench player, right? And, and maybe with Wayne going, he got more minutes than we. Um, we're expecting and um, yeah, just didn't deliver as, as he has in previous seasons. Dave, you've been quiet. Oh, you guys just haven't stopped talking. You're stealing all the names. There you, you go. Here's five of them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. Um, to be honest, though, I listed a lot of players. Um, I think it really comes down to two for me, but I, I had quite a few on a list for things I was disappointed about. So we're going to start from the back and we're going to work, work forward. I had Ollie on there. I agree. I think he um he had a poor season by his own standards. Um, it was it was too inconsistent. There were too many mistakes, and it sounds like there was a lot of other stuff going on. You know the the contract negotiations and all of that might have been a factor in some of that. But either way, I think even he would say it wasn't his best season, and he would have been disappointed in it too. Um, Scott Wooten, I I yep. don't think we saw a season out of him that that justified an import slot. I don't think it was at the level he would like to be at. Yep, but. You know, he, he is a good defender, but is he the the leader in that back line we kind of need him to be? He's probably not at the moment, right? Um, he probably should be. He has the pedigree to be, but we're not seeing it. And I, I think that's disappointing, especially when it takes up an import slot. I also had Kryev. Um, 
not because I think he was bad, but because man, that form drop off was just a, an absolute cliff. He he showed us that he could have been Johnny Warren medal winner, in my opinion, in some of those early games, and then it just vanished. Um, and so, yep, he's on the list for that reason. Lewis, similar. You know, he was having a blinder a season, never came back from the injury, really. Um, and then it comes down to my, oh, Jan Sass. Obviously, we thought he was rubbish for a while there. Yep, he's on the list too. But I think he, if anything, improved across the season rather than got worse. So, yep. But my two names for who it is is David Ball or Costa. Um, obviously, we know Costa has traditionally underperformed for us. So I think we all would have loved to have seen um, what he could have done. You know, we know he's a good A-League player, but winner for mine, David Ball. Um, he takes it up an import slot. He's on decent money. He's just signed, as you say, another three years. Um, so two more left on it. And we didn't see anything this season that really justified that other than work rate. And he's getting old. Is that work rate still going to be there for two more years? Cam, throwing it to you, mate. Yeah, pick a name we haven't said yet. Good luck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you've, you've obviously covered everyone. Um, there's nothing else I can add. I had three names on my list. You've covered them to death. So carry on. Oh, what were the three names? Yeah, who are your names? Come on. He just doesn't want to say a bad thing about anyone. Yeah. Ball, Ball Costa, and Sus. And Sus. For all the reasons that Sus, yes, oh, mate. You have an import slot that comes in, you're expecting to be your starting number 10. He has a season like that where when he's good, he's great. And when he's poor, you may as well not even have him on the bench. No, it's, that was disappointing. So, um, yeah, for all the reasons you've said, those are the three. He's a bit hard done by there in some ways, though, right? Because there were years where, you know, you had your five import slots and we were lucky if one of them was good. Yeah. You know, you had four who barely got minutes. There were there were certainly some years where we had guys who were taking up import slots and barely played a game, you know? Alex so Smith. There's, there's definitely been some some much worse names we've brought in as imports before than the performances we saw from Jan Sars. But he, he's come at a bad time in terms of Ufi's quality of imports, right? Yep. Yeah, um, I, I think as you were talking about with Wooten, it's kind of like you, you compare him against what we, in New Zealand or, or Australian, we could get for less money without taking up a slot. It, it, we are setting a, a proper benchmark here now with uh, Ufi and Chiefy's recruitment. So, And against Stephen Taylor, I mean, it's a hard yardstick to be getting measured against, but it's the comparison we all even subconsciously make in our minds, right? You know? quality, quality defender who came in and just bossed that line, you know? Yeah, and I guess that's probably why we're, you know, looking to get another, uh, you know, central defender in there because what we've had in the last couple of years hasn't been exactly the most rocks, rock solid at the back. So, yeah, it's, it's difficult to come after Stephen Tyler because, right? you know, just had that Premier League experience, which, you know, Wooten hasn't really had. You know, he's, that, he's the next rung down. We've kind of realised that next rung down is not enough to, especially when you partner it with someone, you know, like Tim Payne, who's, you know, okay, A-League level, but not going to be, you know, outstanding. Um, it's just not going to be enough to finish in the top four. Helena has uh, put her vote in for this. Um, she agreed with you, Cam. Jan Sass. And I quote, like, come on, man, check your shoulder. I am begging you. Um I'm not sure, quite sure what she's alluding to, but she watched all the games that we watched, and uh, I think it's fair to say that she was not a fan. Uh, we come now onto the uh, the the award that most symbolises what we're in the Knicks, and 
and in the A-League in general have to uh, put up with. Peak A-League. This, I feel, is quite the interesting one. Um, is there anyone who wants to volunteer, or shall I volunteer, volunteer Helena's one? I'll do Helena's one then. Um, peak A-League. Uh, the Sydney game uh, was her nomination. What else? But more particularly, Jura having a slow moving breakdown in commentary. Uh, allegedly. Discuss. Uh, I was going to say, my, my peak A-League moment of the season uh, didn't involve the Phoenix at all. It was the pitch invasion during the Melbourne derby. I, for all the bad reasons that come with that, I think that was my peak A-League moment of the season. I, I want to dive into that, if you, if you don't mind, Cam. Why was that your peak A-League thing? Is this... Is it because of the the bad old days, or is it just because that was the dominant, you know, the dominant story of this year? I think the issue that Australian football has is it's frowned upon or looked down upon by so many media outlets in Australia, right? And the game itself, and what the FFA is trying to do, is obviously change the image, take it away from the culturally based clubs and all that kind of stuff take it away from the image of you know fighting on the terraces and this is the ultimate shoot yourself in the foot moment where you've got a movement where you're trying to unite all the fans into uh into action together and end up showing all the bad stereotypes that come with being uh, European football fans that the other codes within Australia all think are there anyway. It was the most singularly disappointing act I've seen in the A-League since I started following it. That's why it's peak. That is a remarkably astute point and also way too serious for this pod. Please stop it. I think I think Cam's right though. Like this would be on my list for sure. But I mean, perhaps perhaps not the the history stuff to it. But I think I think it is very peak A League for the fans to finally be united on an issue and one dumb moment from one fan group to piss it all away. Like that is peak A League. The number of times in the past where you know the fans are being broadly united on something and this. This was probably a unity unlike any we've seen before. And then something dumb the RBB have done, have ruined it or whatever. You know, that that has been pretty A-League peak in the past, right? But usually on smaller, slightly funnier, more stupid scales than this. But it still felt that same that same scenario, right? You had fan unity. You maybe had some power. You maybe, you maybe had some actual ground to stand on. And then it was just undercut by one group of like and a small group of fans doing the most stupid shit imaginable. That's pretty PK League. But that's not my moment. Oh, right. Sorry, Dave, then crack on. What was your moment? Oh, well, if you want me to do mine, so my, my PK League moment for me, I'm going to, like, that would have been an honourable mention for sure, but I have one other honourable mention, which was Ryan Grant celebrating in front of the Wanderers. Oh. That was amazing and i love that but i felt like i needed to pick a phoenix one so mine is still you know wanderers related and it is uh when i was in sydney rudan absolutely frothing at the mouth celebrating one of those goals in the direction of the yellow fever who had barely even said a word to him and it just i just loved that moment that 
there is still bad blood between Rodan and the fans of the Wellington Phoenix. And I love that we live rent free in his head. As do many others, I'm sure. I, I suspect he has a high rise um, apartment in his head for all the people that live in there. Um, Dale, what about you? Uh, for uh, for the Phoenix, I think the Sydney game, uh, just for the number of bizarre, crazy things that happened, and I, yeah, it's easier to go to the the penalty and the the double penalty at the end. But the the two sending off, just I forgot about them until I watched the highlights the other day. The the cry of one that was absolutely nothing in it, and then the the Burgess teeing up um, Pennington and, and Pennington getting the red card and looking bemused. So I, I think that just just the amount of talking points out of that game, just phenomenal. But I will give an honourable mention to also the uh, post-game dust-up, that Central Coast game, where oh, yes. Sale yeah. clears the ball, uh, yeah. and then there's the kind of the all-in people running from the, the, the touchline onto the field. And I think I mentioned at the time, I think, uh, Sam Sutton coming out of nowhere and just jumping on top of uh, the, the melee of people and, and yeah. with a big grin on his face as if it's a goal celebration, then w- walking <laughs> off with, in laughter, which just kind of, I don't know, encapsulates the moment of, yeah, was it um, Elena's like, you know, just men in long, long socks, <laughs> too much testosterone, and him just kind of walking away thinking it's hilarious. And then Ollie's with his ripped shirt and then doing a post-game post-game interview and get the gilly getting pulled away from other people and yeah just i'm, I'm disappointed there wasn't more camera angles of it because i feel like yeah. there's a lot lot more like frame by frame you could break that down and like in a, in a commentary or something sorry i did actually get rid of my photos of that there's nothing Such there that would be worthwhile yeah. keeping yeah um I, i've got to say as much as that was Oh, so amusing at the time. The, the Sydney game for just the sheer breadth of A League memes. You've got pretty average refereeing. You've got mediocre football. You've got um, players uh, reacting to not violence and and getting uh, nothing, and just all manner of different things. Then you've got the penalty, and then or the penalties, a save, a miss, uh, you know, just chaos, utter chaos. And I think that, to me, that's, that couldn't sum up the A-League more. Just even if we could possibly have two decent teams, we'll still find a way to put an absolute shocking display out there on from all parties and then have to follow it up and try to pretend like this is a professional league. I hate to end that that section there, but it's kind of where it ended. Uh, do we have any um, any any things that we want to bring up about this season that just that need to be said outside these these kind of hallowed awards? Is there anything that sums up this? For me, I it, the second half of the season just felt like a lot of them where we see the coach leave at the end, just where I don't know whether that that 2% is just missing and the team just falls away. It just, the note of it just felt sad. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. I think think it felt like an unfitting end to Ufi's, you know, reign at the Phoenix because 
there genuinely was probably our best shot at winning a title under him, right? And COVID killed that for us, you know? And and I think we all would love to know what could have been that season, right? And instead, Ufi's Phoenix tenure ends on what can only really be described as a bit of a whimper, right? You know, we sneak in and then straight out, you know? And that wasn't a surprise to anyone and it, it came off a bad run of form and it just... It doesn't. It, it feels like a sad way for what was probably one of our more successful coaches to end. But I guess it's ending for a reason, right? So, um, yeah. But I do. I do feel a bit sad for the guy because he he bought some pretty significant success with his first um, tilt at this sort of level, and it'll be interesting to see what he goes on to do next. I mean that. Um, I think you could. It's not even an argument that he was our most successful coach. I mean, qualifying for the for the playoffs, tick that box more than anyone else, I believe. Um, his recruitment was far and away better than anyone. As you were talking about before, we were lucky if we had one good visa signing. And for the, all all his years, we had a minimum of three, if not four, um, to the point where we were taking the visa players for granted. If they weren't spectacular, we were we were upset like SARS. Um what was your feel on this on the vibe of the season, Dale? Yeah, there's, there's kind of three three chunks. I think there's a, the start of the season where we did you know pretty well. And we're playing some of the, the best football, and then yeah, maybe and then the middle play we kind of we were kind of a little bit inconsistent, but we had enough to kind of grind out some results, even if we weren't playing that flash. And then I think at the end of the season, we came up against some teams that were better, and we didn't have the the ability to grind out those results. So I don't think the last few weeks, I think some of that was already in the middle few weeks. And I just think we happened to come up against shitter teams and we could, we kind of managed to, to dig out some results, even if we perhaps didn't expect so. Um, and so for me, it kind of, kind of feels like we didn't quite have the right balance in the squad. I think we, the, the system of four two 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 is I feel like you kind of need to have one of the best teams in the league to kind of pull it off because you are you're using your fullbacks both fullbacks really to give you width and it does you leave, does leave you kind of exposed to counter attacks and I think if you if your centre backs and your your holding midfielders aren't mobile enough or experienced enough to kind of deal with that then you can get exposed really easily and I think you know when we had Stephen Taylor there you know Cam Devlin players who could could hustle had experience knew how to defend that we looked looked okay but when we had slightly lesser versions of them we looked far more um, um, exposed at the back um, particularly when we lost the ball and we we're in a transition so Perhaps we just didn't quite have the balance balance right. And I think we went into the season thinking, you know, Wayne's probably not going to stay. So we we brought an extra player up top. But then when Wayne left, we didn't really have, um, you know, a strong enough Kiwi to solidify an area of weakness. Um, you know, so we had Nick, Nico Boxall who, you know, we didn't get to see much of him and okay record, but um not really one to compete for that first place so uh, you know the starting spot so i feel like we just didn't quite have that the balance across the squad to be good in all areas and so that's why it kind of fell apart i think after after you know the first maybe half of the season cam what was your takeaway of this season yeah it was 
the disappointing end, I think, took took the gloss off what up to week 20 was actually looking to be quite competitive with uh, a chance for uh, finishing in the top two not being unrealistic before that game away to Adelaide. Um, I think the biggest takeaway, though, is our defensive fragility is what cost us anything more than sneaking into the six and dropping 25 points from winning positions and whilst that is going to happen throughout your season you are going to drop points 25 is a staggering number when you end up on 30 odd points i think we ended up with about 30 35 points so that puts us even even gaining half of those puts us comfortably into second and home semi-finals and going into the into the grand final, because uh, going into the playoffs, not having won one game in seven. So, I think my biggest takeaway there is we needed to address how we were closing out games. Uh, we needed to address the uh, how we were reacting to going in front because whatever we were doing wasn't working. And, and other teams had worked out how to beat that. So we had no issue scoring early. We had no issue taking the lead. We had no issue taking games to teams. But to then lose so many of them from a position of strength, was there needed to be some addressing there, and I don't think it was. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I think that, that my biggest disappointment from what could have been quite a positive season. One last question about the season that we're uh, that has been. Uh, we'll keep this nice and short. What's the what's your one hope for the next season, um, Dale? I'm going to go to you first because you look like you're actually still paying attention. <laughs> um, one hope. Um, shit, that's that's. T- Would you like me to go first? Okay, I've got I've got one slightly left field. My one hope is that we find uh, owners for the Auckland mystical um, franchise. The mystical unicorns, I'm assuming yeah. they're going to be called. Because I think that it could be quite cool. It'll be challenging, but I think it could be quite cool for football here um, and for the league and for us um, as fans as well. Truly egalitarian, Dale. Uh, Dave, what about you? I mean, I'm going to slightly piggyback off Dale's first, and then I'll give you my actual one because I think I think I agree with that. But I think the key for that is also we managed to survive the first two years of it because um, I think there's a very real possibility that that money and the players and all of that in that first season or two of an Auckland franchise destabilized the Phoenix enough it could fall apart. Um, once you get through that initial period, I agree. I think it'll be fantastic for um, the sport in this country, but I do think there's going to be at least one or two really, really tough years for the Phoenix when that does happen. So um, there's that. But I, I, I think my hope for next season is that um, Chiefy will be half as good as I think he could be. Um, I have very high hopes for the guy. I think on paper, there's a hell of a lot I really like about signing him. And if he's even half as good as I think he could be, we could win the damn league. Um. I've got to say that is one thing I am quite hopeful about is is Chiefy. His he seems very astute, um, and I have very little evidence to base that on. But I have I have hope. Um, 
my actual hope though is that we find a way to get the most out of some of the talent we've got in the squad. It did feel like that four two 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 formation didn't quite work, especially for someone like Crive. I every time watching him go through that centre third and basically running a traditional ten role, he looked outstanding. And the wide role I don't think suited him, which is probably why Costa ended up playing uh, so much ahead of him. Um, so I'm just hoping that we can find the right roles and the right way of playing that suits the majority of our team, which didn't quite quite feel right. Uh, Cam, I'm going to give you the last word on the, on the season. Uh, I hope you can live up to it. <laughs> I am I am also excited by Chief. I am I believe he is the right appointment, uh, the right man for the role. Um, his his man management and people relationship building skills are top notch. They are very very good. He he will if anybody can get the best motivation or motivated player to get the best out of it. I think he is the right man to do that. Tactically, he has shown when he's come, like uh, I said, the first year when he arrived, that. That was our best year under Ufi. He was the video analyst. He can read a game, can understand a game, and can put tactics, come up with tactics which can be effective against the opposition that we're likely to play. He's obviously intelligent. You don't study for a law degree and not be intelligent. Um, <laughs> yeah, if she was here, I'm sure she'd agree with me. Um, and uh, and the, and the, he's been around the club for four years. He knows the Wellington Phoenix. He knows how it works. He knows about our owners and how to work with our owners. He knows about the backroom staff and how to work with the backroom staff. And now he gets carte blanche over everything he wishes to, um, everything he wishes to deliver. Um, I think. The appointment is fantastic. I can't wait to see what he can deliver. I'm looking forward to going down and training sessions early in the season and seeing just how he is developing the tactics he wants to put into onto the field and and getting them out onto the into the players. It's a it's a great for me. It's a great step. And I hope it comes off. That's where that's where that's where my hope is. And we always let Captain Hopeful do that. The last thing just to remind us why we actually watch this game sometimes uh that wraps up our end of season review the only thing we've got now is to say that the next season has already started to to roll its little wheels um the first signing has been made uh mohammed uh el tay is that how you pronounce his name i've only ever seen it written down mohammed el tay uh a young i think he's 22 from Newcastle defensive midfielder, which is a very interesting signing. Uh, Dales has provided his stats to me before, and he looks like he's a very capable player at this league. Um, Hopefully he goes on. We can only wait, watch, and find out then. And that pretty much wraps up uh, this season. Um, Obviously the finals are underway, but they don't really exist because we're not there. if you enjoy your football, crack on and watch those if you so desire. Um, we'll be enjoying our nice little mid-year break. Um, and we'll be back at some stage, uh, especially if there's any 
juicy signings or the like, um, or just at a random moment, just to remind you we still exist. Thanks for listening. Um, on behalf of Cam, Dale, and Dave, thank you. And uh, hopefully you'll hear us soon. Bye. Yeah.